This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's long been a controversial question. Will our aging population spell trouble for the economy? According to a new report from the C.D. Howe Institute, the answer is yes. But the think tank has a solution, one that is already being embraced by many in the Zoomer demographic as we live longer and healthier lives. And that is staying in the workforce longer. If we did that, according to the Institute, our contributions to output and taxes would lessen the fiscal squeeze. But in order to make that happen, the C.D. Howe Institute says we need some major policy changes, starting with what the Conservatives plans planned and the Liberals reversed, and that is increasing the age of eligibility for old age security to 67. Remember, uh, Justin Trudeau put it back to 65 as an election promise. Now, I know that that is a big, important issue for a lot of our audience. The numbers to call 416 360 toll free 1-866-744-740. And right now, let's go to Colin Busby, one of the authors of the report, The Fiscal Implications of Canadians Working longer. Colin, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on the show. Okay. Well, uh, first of all, uh, the problem. What do you see as the problem with the large demographic getting older? Well, there's two major implications for public policy and public finance in Canada. The first and probably one of the largest implications is that as uh, baby boomers age and as more baby boomers withdraw from the labor force, the growth of the labor force over time is going to shrink significantly. And that growth was a major contributor to economic growth, which is also you know, the foundation at which we raise taxes from society. So as the economy grows slower from an aging demographic, the growth of tax revenues will also grow slower. So that's one big one. The second big one is, of course, um, um, the impact of demographics on um, the cost of public services and public programs, notably healthcare, where um, older people um, tend to draw down more on resources and, and healthcare services than younger people. And when you put the two together, um, what you get is a slow-moving but at the same time, you know, um, uh, shifting from a perspective of society uh, uh, implications and, and problems when it comes to how we're going to finance um, the existing set of programs going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, your talk when you talk about people working longer um, in your report, you're focusing on it lessening the fiscal squeeze. But uh, given that this demographic is much larger than than the generations that came after, it would also alleviate a shortage of workers, wouldn't it? 
That's a big part of it. I mean, you ha- as again, this this large boomer cohort, you know, approaches the age of retirement, and many of them are already starting, you know, to retire. Uh, having them spend uh, a few more years, uh, and it could be, you know, sometimes just, and often in most cases, what we see the increase in their retirement age is just simply by choice. Um, by people desiring to work longer, that in and of itself, um, you know, has an economic boost, and that economic boost filters over to tax revenues and, and lessens the potential impacts of, of you know, what is a, a challenging long-term fiscal scenario for Canada, and one that mostly falls on the provinces. Uh, now, it's interesting. You're saying uh, that uh, the government has to do what the Conservatives tried to do, and that is increase the age of eligibility to 67. It is. 67 already in most industrialized countries, but uh, the Zoomer demographic votes and uh, the Zoomer demographic likes the idea of having it back at 65. Sure, that's I, I I understand that that's the uh, the political imperative. It doesn't mean that there was necessarily a um, the right decision. Now the worries associated with um, um, the movement moving it back from 67 to 65 was that simply, hey, look, you know, working longer isn't for everybody, and there's a certain portion of people in the labor force that, through um, uh, whatever reason, the nature of their employment might not be able to work longer, whereas there might be a set of workers that can work longer, but we shouldn't, we shouldn't penalize the, uh, the group of workers that can't work longer. And so um, they move the, the, the age back to 65 to account for that. Meanwhile, uh, I would say that a much more feasible um, policy suggestion would be to target those people specifically, rather than set the age at 65 for everybody, um, you know, set the age at 67, and then focus on how one can target um, a set of, of, of OAS um, benefits benefits and programs for people that, you know, fall into that category of, okay, you know, they can't reskill or the nature of their employment caused them to retire early. It's not the kind of thing that one would want to, uh, to spread out amongst the total population because, you know, the, the, the subsequent effect of that is that, uh, you know, is that it, you know, it encourages, you know, a retirement date around 65. And, and the setting of that, uh, that number, you know, implicates, you know, and, and, and incorporates Origins retirement around those ages. So, um, but at the same time, it was set, you know, well over 50, 50 years ago when the age of, uh, you know, when people were living past the age of 65 for approximately, uh, you know, uh, 15 years. Now that number is much closer to 22 years. So, um, you know, it's a very different context. And, and uh, yet the implications of the federal government's decision really, you know, falls on the provinces. And it's the provinces that have to foot the bill and that are going to be most fiscally impacted um, from this sort of demographic crunch in the future. I, I want to just uh, I'm going to weigh in with a, with a personal opinion here, and my mm-hmm. personal opinion is that raising the age it's it's inevitable, and it's it's already happened in countries that are similar to ours, and people who can work longer are are already doing it. I mean that's my personal opinion, and I want to throw it out again to our audience because I am sure that a lot of people disagree with me. Four one six three six zero zero seven forty toll free one eight six six seven four I'm talking to Colin Busby, who is one of the authors of the new C.D. Howe Institute report, The Fiscal Implications of Canadians Working Longer. And uh, that report says that is the solution to what is coming down the road. And Colin, 
We need some other changes, I think, both policy changes and societal changes. Um, And, uh, you know, the government doesn't make it really easy now for people who are working longer because there are things like mandatory RIF withdrawals. You have to dip into your retirement savings and pay tax on them whether you need the money or not. Is that another thing that has to change? I mean, absolutely. I think that, you know, ideally, when we design these policies, we should be trying to make it as neutral as possible with respect to people's retirement decisions. So ideally, what we'd be doing is making it, trying to steer people less one way or another to when they should retire. And I think that, you know, the result that you mentioned, the, the savings vehicles that really create a certain amount of uncertainty, as a lot of people worry, and quite rightly, when they have to convert their RRSP savings into a RIF at age 71, that they're going to run out of money one day. Well, ex- exactly. I have to say that uh, someone very close to me is facing that. Um, he is in still in a huge job, making a very big salary. And, um, you know, uh, judging the way this person uh, uh, goes, uh, he's going to live to be 100. So really, why would the government make him dip into his savings? Well, that's exactly, that's a very good point. And I think, again, you know, the problem is, is when we set these arbitrary age dates, is that they have a fundamental effect on when people choose to to retire. And what we have to be moving towards is a situation where we're going to be a lot more neutral towards that. So setting the age of a RIF at 71 is probably something we can start to do away with or start to move up at least into, you know, to, to age 73 or 74 or move it up sort of further down the line, change that age with longevity. And that's just the issue with OAS as well as, you know, when it was set at 65, you know, in the 1960s, we never sort of linked it to longevity. And so um, um, even with modest changes to it now, which is, you know, a change over a 15, 20-year period towards moving it to age 67. I think that that sets us up better to cope with the fiscal implications of an aging population, and especially the provinces. They're Uh, the ones who are going to feel the pinch the most. uh, But the other thing, though, and um, I don't know how you can weigh in on this, is a societal change. There's a lot of ageism in society. Um, People who have corporate-type jobs, either they have to, they're in certain cases, they're allowed to have a retirement age, like uh, if you're a partner in a law firm or something like that. And um, there's ageism. You know, people, if somebody is in their 60s, they're not going to get another kind of corporate type job generally. Uh, or they can be eased out. How do we, how do we change that? Yeah, I mean, and this is sort of, again, this is two things I think we build in here. I'd mentioned the neutrality piece, so I think that's really important to try to think in those terms. But there's also the fact that, you know, hey, if if we're going to get segments of the population who in their early 60s, and this has been a policy challenge going back a long time, who in their early 60s, you know, face a a much worse sort of set of employment prospects going forward, um, and ageism could be one of the drivers of that, then how do we sort of shift um, public benefit packages to accommodate their transition to retirement. You know, a lot of them had been paying into EI for substantial employment insurance for a substantial portion of their career, and yet they've never drawn down on it. And, and at the same time, they might only qualify for, for 12 months worth of benefits, you know, at best. So, you know, there's a whole assortment of thinking of public programs and how we can design them better to try and accommodate that, OAS being, being one of them. And, and I think I, I targeted approach 
to those certain populations would be better than setting the age at, at a certain amount for everybody. And it, that wouldn't just be um, moving the problem from uh, from one envelope to another? No, I mean, because I, I think what happens is when you move it from, you know, 67 to 65, I mean, you're spreading the generosity of those benefits to everybody, right, as opposed to necessarily targeting it to those people who uh, who are struggling the most with that transition or who are, in it, or who are not able or less able to, to work longer. Okay. Uh, Colin, um, I know your time is limited. Uh, is there anything you'd like to leave us with before we let you go? Uh, no, that's everything. Thanks. I think it's a monumental challenge for, for society, and it's such a slow-moving target that it's hard to try to get in front of these issues before they become a much greater challenge, and I think that's the big issue facing our society today. Okay. Colin Busby, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Okay. Um, we are going to take a quick break, and uh, when we come back, we're going to be talking about another uh, big issue that we are facing, and that is uh, November is the deadliest month on the roads. We had two pedestrian fatalities uh, just uh, last night, and uh, we're going to be delving into that when we return back right after this. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.